In this episode, I'm going to introduce the first in a series on famous ECT patients. There's a handful of famous electroshock recipients psychiatry holds up as examples of success, uh, most famous being Harry Fisher and Kitty Dukakis, both public figures who swear by its efficacy. The reason I created this segment is because while most people have heard of Kitty Dukakis and Carrie Fisher, many haven't been, many aren't aware of the several other celebrities who've suffered devastating consequences from ECT. And I think that needs to change. Bad experiences are just as valid as good ones and are essential for understanding risks and to improving care. People considering ECT or any other kind of medical treatment should be given complete and honest information about risks and benefits and should be offered appropriate care when side effects happen. If we truly want to understand what patients go through so we can help them to improve outcomes, we need to study all aspects of these experiences, not just the positive ones. Both experiences are valid, but rarely treated as such. More importantly, we should give validation to the experience these individuals never received when they were alive. Especially because I've noticed many people will dismiss anybody shocked in the bad ECT era, quote unquote, because they believe ECT is somehow radically different from when people like Hemingway lived through it. That's messed up and highly questionable. Since ECT still disables more patients than most can even imagine. Doctors more often than not didn't believe these patients in the past, their claims of injury, nor did they offer testing um, or any treatments to help ameliorate those side effects. I've literally interacted with hundreds of my peers and I've never seen a single instance where doctors offered any sort of testing or help. Not one. So these newly disabled people are left to fend for themselves in a society that often mistreats and excludes the disabled. If this wasn't bad enough, they will also likely have to deal with whatever caused their depression in the first place with less capacity to understand or recover from due to their brain damage. So the first episode in the ECT Celebrity series I want to talk about Ernest Hemingway because today, July 2nd, marks the 59th anniversary of his suicide following a series of electroshock treatments that robbed him of his writing ability, contributing to a painful end to his career. I also want to revisit his famous quote as some of the circumstances leading up to his suicide and also talk about how electroshock is still robbing people of their livelihoods, which can, and still does, contribute or cause suicide, including two such suicides in our shock community in the last five years that we are all still trying to recover from. All right, back to Hemingway, the quote that I was talking about. What these shock doctors don't know is about writers and what they do to them. What is the sense of ruining my head and erasing my memory, which is my capital, and putting me out of business? It was a brilliant cure, but we lost the patient. Ernest Hemingway. I recently stumbled across info surrounding Hemingway's death that I feel more people should be aware of, as it shows how electroshock 
it shows how electroshock has and still damages minds and careers via a still unregulated treatment with zero FDA safety testing or care standardization. In the year 2020, I'll follow up with a bit about my struggles with education and employment after ECT, and I invite you to share your experience in a follow-up episode about what working has been like for you. So the first piece of new information um, I found about Hemingway was about his paranoia towards the end of his life. Um, he was convinced that the American government was spying on him, tailing him, tapping his phones, that sort of thing. But it turns out his fear was totally legit. A freedom of information request revealed that Hemingway was indeed being spied on by U.S. intelligence starting in 1940 because of his activities in Cuba. Hodgner describes the sad decline of his friend, watching him succumb to paranoia, then acting betrayed when his friend didn't seem to believe his seemingly wild claims of government surveillance. A quote from the article, Over the following years, agents filed reports on him and tapped his phones. The surveillance continued all through his confinement at St. Mary's Hospital. It is likely that the phone outside his room was tapped after all. In the years since, I have tried to reconcile Ernest's fear of the FBI, which I regretfully misjudged with the reality of the FBI file. I now believe he truly sensed the surveillance and that it substantially contributed to his anguish and his suicide. The second bit of information I want to share comes from an ex excerpt from an old CNN article about Hemingway's life and death, written by Jamie Allen. It reads, beginning in 1960, they gave him 36 shock treatments at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And shock treatments back then were very, very severe, Nagel says. They cause serious memory loss in Hemingway. If there's anything a writer can't stand, it's the loss of memory. After some of those shock treatments, he didn't even know his own name. Then he would be sent back home to recover, given that drug for high blood pressure. And it was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of weeks before he was depressed again. The slow decline was evident in Hemingway's physical condition. He had dropped in weight to 160 pounds from the 200-plus pounds he weighed in his prime, according to Nagel. But the treatment went on as Hemingway showed continued signs of stress. Quote, he would get on his knees and cry and beg his wife not to send him back for more shock treatments, Nagel says. And when he wasn't at the Mayo Clinic, Hemingway was spending his time at his home in Ketchum, Idaho. Hemingway committed suicide on July 2, 1961, a day after his 36th shock treatment. End quote. That part is just so hard for me to believe because he just seemed like this man's man. And watching a man of his stature at that time 
get on his knees crying. It's so sad. So losing his mental capacity and subsequent career, according to Hemingway himself, in addition to other possible inherited mental issues, environmental factors, and the fact that he had already experienced multiple head injuries before receiving electroshock. And there's an important point to that that I plan to cover in the follow-up episode. Live like this every day for years with terrifying brain damage and isolation, and chances are you're going to start thinking this way too. The first test I had showed me that there was indeed a brain injury and my failure to move forward in my life. It wasn't a it wasn't a weakness on my part. I wasn't being deliberately horrible. It made it possible for me to consider that, you know, what happened to me was real and and provided a way for me to get help so I could have a life thanks to an amazing speech and occupational therapy team and an army of compassionate adult ed teachers, I was able to earn my GED, graduating with honors, but unable to finish college as my anterior grade amnesia and energy I had to put into compensating. Um, that was not sustainable. So my rehabilitation team was operating under the theory that if I work on um, areas that can be strengthened, compensate for skills that I can't, and start slow, I will gradually be able to master more skills and continue to keep adding more. Over time, um, I can continue to build more skills, um, take more responsibilities on, and then I can get off disability and try and have a better life than than I have up until now. Unfortunately, this isn't what ended up happening. But based on the available testing data me and my team had, you know, we went for it. We, we did everything we could. I poured my soul into my rehab for years, followed by school, and then my first job as an intern. After several years of this, I suffered major burnout that required me to take medical leave mid-semester the con I mean, the cognitive skills that I had been working on all these years, I just started to deteriorate right along with my health. It took around six months to regain my mental capacity. Um, just after five years of 24-7 mental effort required to learn and retain information to the degree that I need to in order to carry out assignments. Now, I had a lot of really good experiences with um, the disability community when I was in college. Like, I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> um, and of course, I have a lot of internalized ableism and stuff. So it's like, oh my gosh, there is another way to exist. I'm allowed to live. Like, I have a right to a life as a disabled person. Um. And so a lot of that, that's good. And then you, of course, these conferences, you learn about, you know, different issues, different tools, all the politics of, you know, the disability rights movement and, and stuff like that. Um, but one thing that this stuff does not prepare you for is, how, like, the Americans with Disabilities Act, what was that passed in 95 or something, that kind of time frame? 
been around for a while and like efforts have already been made to weaken it um and of course a lot of schools and businesses after all these years they still don't have a wheelchair accessible ramp uh one of my blind friends actually got hurt on campus because they have these really short stairs like so you're told all of these things that you know civilized society is supposed to, to live by and they don't they really, really don't. I know some areas are worse than others, but you really have to have the right disability for anybody to want to have anything to do with you. And a lot of times these employers, they find ways to either not hire you or fire you that aren't related to your disability. So they don't have to be bothered with training employees. I mean, you're lucky as a, a normal non-disabled employee to get training job training that actually gives you competence helps you understand so if you are new to the to the disabled community and stuff and you're looking to get work and you're looking to do all all of these things prepare yourself brace yourself once you kind of understand this is how stuff works you can you can try to find ways to work through it i mean it's it's doable and uh but yeah it's it's messed up do learn your rights because there may be some instance where you might actually be able to advocate for yourself in the future but yeah work has not been great for me and there's a lot of other things related to my brain damage and a lot of hazards that i experienced when i was working as well that i do plan to get into a little bit more but this is kind of enough to give you a gist. So after several years of um, on the traditional employment route, I threw in the towel, um, opting for freelance style work a family member had been success really successful at. After a few years of study and efforts, Self-employment is now being put on the back burner as well. Um, my health and my cognition are deteriorating in alarming ways, um, some of which I have witnessed in my peers, but I didn't fully understand what it meant at the time. And I'm now learning these symptoms are long-term consequences of low-voltage electrical injuries. From the 60 to 90 ECT treatments I had from 2000, 2001 to 2007. And I'm scared. I'm really scared because I, I, I gave up trying to get more testing and diagnostics done several years ago. I had several fruitless years working with a neurologist finally got a referral to a dementia specialist um that i that uh, worked at the same hospital that damaged my brain so i naively assumed um that this doctor would actually do his job in regards to this uh but no uh no he said ect doesn't do that and and that was that it's just like have like just having to sit and listen to a doctor a highly educated person 
who supposedly cares about people. Otherwise, why would you, why would you do that job? Unless it's the money and the ego, which sadly is a lot of doctors. Um, shoot, what was I saying? I don't remember. Okay. I think it is time to stick a fork in this. Uh, let me check my notes real quick to see if there's anything else. And then I'm calling it a night because my brain is fried. I look forward to hearing your guys' uh, voicemails and, and working on that follow-up uh, episode. Um, it, it's just, at this point, it's so important that we get that information out there. Because so many people can just dismiss all of this, what's happening to me, what's happening to you guys, um, as either rare or even just, you know, like uh, that article by Max Fink, where he just accused everybody who complained memory problems from ECT were suffering from somatoform disorder. <laughs> so messed up. All right. I think that's all I've got. I look forward.